0: Hey, hey, it's Andy Owens and you're listening to another episode of Pod Slam and Jam and now owned by Let's Rage Cougs. On this episode, we'll be talking about the Houston Cougars offense after their recent struggles against Tulane. We'll continue our third segment of focusing on the Hoop and Holler Houston Semi Collective, the NIL series sponsored by At the Texas Juan on Twitter. will close up the chapter with Hoop and Holler as we look ahead to a, a good time when it comes to NIOS. as we look forward to new opportunities and we'll close it out with the Houston Cougars defense who similar to the offense and the team overall has had its struggles. Uh, the defense in particular has had struggles closing out games so here we, we will hear what Doug Belk had to say about the struggles on the defense from that side once again you're you're listening to Pod, Slamma, Jamma, Do Not Go Anywhere got high standards, high goals,
1: you know, we know what it takes to get there. I want to be on guard with it, <laughs> if I'm honest. Coaches coach players play.
2: You know, and that's a great place to be in your life, We you can care less what other people are playing.
0: Joining me as always, on Dunlap. How are you doing, sir? Hey, what's up, brother? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, And I guess we'll we'll jump right into it because depending on who you are, the state of the Houston Cougars football program might not be so good just in terms of where they are uh, right now in the season. After dropping another tough uh, game that came down to the final possession, another overtime game in the American Athletic Conference opener against the two-lane Green Wave, Houston saw themselves uh, in a similar position that they have for – Four of the five games um, where they had the opportunity late to move out the game, the defense had a chance with about three minutes left on the clock to, to get one stop on Tulane. And uh, the Green Wave were able to drive down the field. I believe it was an 11-play, 75-yard uh, drive to, to tie the game and sports an overtime period. Houston offense actually had an opportunity to be able to to go down the field and set up the game-winning field goal, but after a good completion at Daniel Dell, that drive kind of stalled out due to due to a penalty, and and they were forced to go to overtime. They showed Dana Horison on the sidelines clearly frustrated, um, and it, it was just a good um, symbolic kind of microcosm of what the season has been like for the first five games of the season. And then we know what happened in overtime. They get hold to field goal. The Houston offense doesn't end two was They have to drive down the field and score a touchdown with third-string quarterback Kai Horton uh, down. Before we get into any of the clips, just any closing thoughts on that Houston two-lane game, obviously we we had a, a much more of our instant reactions on Let's Reach Cougs, the unofficial postgame show of Houston Cougars football and men's basketball streaming on the Houston Rumble Review YouTube channel.
3: Well, no, I think um, just looking back on it, remembering how the defense played really well for the majority of that game and where the offense inability to capitalize on most of those three and outs and um, the defense ability to hold to a lane really um, under control throughout the most of that game. And then at the end, not being able to finish and close out the game and send it into overtime and um, what you described how it ended. And so <clears> – <throat> I think more of just consistency, specifically from the offensive perspective. The defense um, learn closing games out um, is kind of what I'm taking going away. Looking into the uh, this week's game against Memphis.
0: And I think that's been the theme of the entire season, that consistency. We've mentioned it uh, throughout multiple episodes. And, and one, of the, one of the things that Dana Hogerson was asked during his Monday press conference is, obviously, with the struggles that they've had uh, just in terms of not being able to, to come out on the winning side of things um, for three out of the five games, they asked if, if he planned on changing anything up. And here's what Dana Horgerson had to respond. Um, do
2: anything different this week? given what y'all been through change things up and move responsibilities around play calling anything at all whether you approach or you stick with the way you are and where you're at right now yeah we're good I mean you know we're two and three and we've lost a couple of really close games we've been in five you know battles uh gonna be another one here Friday night uh Memphis is a good football team four and one you know play good defense um uh, you know they're 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 hard to beat at their place, so we've gotta get ready for a four quarter uh, battle. Which you know we've been in five of them, so might as well make another one. You know uh, it's a fair question, um, but uh, you know we got to, We just we gotta we just gotta keep plugging along. Gotta keep working. We've been in these games, you know a play here, a play there. We're four and one, and everybody's all happy. Everybody's all giddy, you know. If you go, if you go back and you look at how the games have been and all that, I mean, you here and a play there, we're four and one. That's where we were last year, where everybody thought I was a pretty good coach. So, um, you know, now that we didn't, we didn't win those two games, now I'm not a good coach. You know, I know I understand how everything works, but you know, we got a game week, we got a, you know. And it's not really a short week because we got seven days to prepare. It's, a, it's kind of a normal week, but it's abnormal because the days fall on different days. So it's the same schedule as last week. So we gotta, we gotta get, we gotta put our head down, and we gotta work hard, and we gotta coach hard, and we gotta practice hard, and we gotta go play hard. And then we have a bye week. Uh, so I will reassess things after that.
0: Okay. So there you heard uh, head coach Dana Horkerson talking a little bit uh, when it came to the changes. Now, I do want to caveat there where he said um, they're good. He did follow up uh, during his radio show on Wednesday. We're recording this on a Wednesday night. Uh, they are making changes. He's in his radio show, he said he just didn't want to disclose them. We'll have to see him when they play Memphis. So we'd be interesting to see if there's uh, any notable changes from the on-field perspective on Friday when they take on the Tigers. But a couple of things he touched on there. And I think he, he does make a, a, a valid argument and, um, I'm going to say this because there's, there's been a lot of fans that, that heard what you said there and they kind of uh, turned it around and, and, and had the other opposite argument of it. But that's they are a couple of plays away from being able to be at four and one um, against some of these opponents. I mean, the, the big play that sticks out in my head is that fourth and 20 against Texas Tech. Uh, where the defense had a chance to, if they get that stop, they win that game. They beat the Red Raiders and they turn around and they come um, to TDCU stadium for the home opener against Kansas at two and zero, And that, that's the big one that sticks out of my head. But even against Tulane, again, just if the defense can get what stop, if the offense just doesn't kill itself with penalties, um, they can probably go down in position and at the very least attempt a game winning field goal in regulation. They never have to get put in that position. But again, you get that flip side of it as well. Again, UTSA, if, if uh, the Roadrunners were able to, to convert on that two-point conversion, if they had been able to get in the stop, they could have easily won that game. And then, of course, we know with Rice, right. so it came down to the last final position. And, and uh, TJ McMahon and Luke McCaffrey looked like they were inches away from being able to connect on a potential game time. Heck, uh, it could have been a go-ahead touchdown score. They decided to go for two after. So, it's just been that kind of season where they, they've been in some crazy games and something that Holverson said, he's never seen something like that in, in all the years of coaching that he, he has been.
3: Yeah, but um, you got to fight to get out of it. I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, if if if, if we would have won those games, people would be giddy, like you said, or whatever. But, I mean, you're in this position because a, a lot of it, and some of it to his admission, he's been out-coached. And so, I mean, what what is it? What's the solution? Okay, you don't have to tell the media, but uh, that someone is going to be watching, I hope to see it, some adjustment, something. What is it? Because the offense side, he's specifically supposed to specialize in as a coach, in which that's what he was hired. That's what his resume speaks very highly of, is to be an offensive-minded coach. Offense have struggled for most of this year. And um, he had a, a really good stat that you posted on Twitter about them being outscored and the different the and, and outscoring people in the fourth quarter, that just shows to the inconsistency. You need to put together four full four, four quarters. Of course, you're not going to score every possession. You're not going to have consistent offensive um, execution every single drive. But um, it, it can happen at, at more often than not. And I should say to be a consistently good offensive team and sustain drives, and they haven't done so. So I'm be going to be watching, of course, to see what some of those adjustments, what some of the things. Is it scheme wise? Is it what 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 is it going to be for um, Hogerson in, in uh, Houston to do to turn it around?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good thing you brought like, brought up that stat. Um, it was something that I thought. Saw- going over the notes um, that the Houston Cougars have, they have a breakdown of all the points by quarter. And it's really interesting um, when you look at it, Houston has actually outscored opponents in the first quarter, which, you know, we, we think about it at how they've struggled to come out of the gates and outside of the Kansas game, they've really struggled to put up points in that first quarter. um, But, Houston, it just goes to show how the defense has been able to start off good. They've only held opponents to 17 points in the first quarter. 14 of those 17 points came in that game against Kansas. Um, the problem for Houston has been in the second quarter where they have been outscored 63 to 20 by their opponents which is an absurd stat the third quarter has been kind of even where houston has scored 34 their opponents have scored 38 and then in the fourth quarter houston has done a really good job of learning the fourth quarter period um, they scored 54 points in the fourth quarter and they've held opponents to only 22 so a bit of an interesting dynamic where that second quarter is really really hurting the cougars and even then to only be able to put up um, 21 points in the first quarter, 20, 41 points in the first half through five games. Uh, that's about an eight points of average uh, for first halves, which is not where you want to be. And like you mentioned for for Dana Hogerson who had been touted for his offense coming into when he first joined the program, um, that's something that they, they, they need to correct. And uh, it, it, it's interesting how you see it by the numbers, just how badly the second quarters have been, for Houston and, and it just kind of shows um, again, going back to what we mentioned at the beginning of the show, the inconsistencies because they find a way to turn on the switch in the fourth quarter, and it's something that running back Brandon Campbell actually said after the game where for whatever reason, and he couldn't pinpoint an exact reason for it. But whenever they have their backs against the wall, he said that's really when the offense uh, starts to do things and they play at their best, which, I mean, we're going to be interesting to see how that holds against Memphis because they're going to be – they have their backs against the wall, against the Tigers, because obviously they're 2-3. and three, They're already in one in conference. The Tigers they're four and one. More importantly, they're two and zero against the American Athletic Conference opponents. And if they go three and zero, Houston gets into an zero two hole with only six games left after they come back from the bye. That's going to be really a very very difficult hole to try to get out of. It might it might be too late if they fall into. Might be too late.
3: In, in which then, if so, I'll be wondering what kind of changes would it be as far as planning for the future. I know you don't want to. Pers- Give up on the season, but at some point you got to see what some of your younger players and what the future might hold Get them some experience, maybe get them um, Experiences using their four game rule and and so but yeah, I mean it, it's a lot of game left. I mean one game at a time you gotta Get one win to the turn the season around you never know how it show. I mean how each game could go
0: And that's a great point because it, it had been brought up. I can't remember. I believe it was this past Monday um, where Dana Holgerson was asked uh, about the, the reps that some of the backup quarterbacks are getting. Um, Dana Holgerson says that Hallman Edwards has the, been the main guy that's getting all the second-team reps for Houston. Lucas Cooley, who obviously a lot of Cougar fans have a lot of buzz around him. Uh, the transfer from Arkansas, he transferred over in the in the offseason, said he's gotten most of the on a normal week Thursday night reps, but he's not necessarily getting a lot of those those reps where you'd expect him to be able to, to see some minutes on at, at doesn't look like I'd be surprised if he got in a game uh, this season, but that's just something you heard at the very tail end of that clip that we played you know, after the bye. That's or during the bye, that's when the Cougars might end up evaluating a lot of stuff. And it, it could be a good way of seeing where the team goes now. One of the other things you alluded to change is something that a lot of fans have brought up. And granted, it's a lot of it's frustration. You heard Holgerson say it himself in that clip, you know, of a couple play, plays. So different and they're four and one and it'd be a much more different tone from the fan base in regards to dana holgerson but um since they are two and three two and three and and there's a lot of frustration among the fan bases there's been a lot to be said about potential future of dana Hogerson and he went on a radio show today on espn 97.5 it's a local espn out like here in houston and i mean they asked him point blank about those rumors i think they even asked him that there, because there's been some rumors circulating about him potentially even losing the locker room and he point black asked it said that dana horrorson is going to be here for the long run he's not going to run away from it um and and there's just a lot of different things that it would make it difficult is what he kind of explained especially in terms of changes that are being made when it comes to already how they've changed the way they recruit, but also um, just the the assistant coaches and st- stuff like that were some of the stuff that he mentioned during his um, clip. So that that's interesting to see. And then we also had the Houston Chronicle article um, where they reported that he has the the support of Tillman Fertitta. So I I would say that the Dana Hogerson's here to stay at least for the foreseeable future unless something drastic happens. Which I mean, the only way I would see anything drastic happening is if you know Memphis they look like they're checked out, which hearing what the players had to say and, and what Holgerson has said, I don't, I'd don't. i be surprised if we, we saw a team that's checked out on Friday, would say you?
3: Yeah, I don't think the team is going to be checked out. Um, I think there's their pride and their willingness to compete and put good is out there just for themselves first is going to um, stop them from, quote-unquote, checking out and not competing. And so I'm, I'm not worried about that. But the results are going to be the results, and – if it looks like it, it's a, a lack of coaching, a lack of preparedness, or a lack of adjustments being me made, then I think I, um, the administration should consider making the change at the coaching staff. But I think he's here to stay for at least this year and probably at least one year in the Big 12. And Then um, say he struggles Big 12 first year, then look for – make a change. And once you kind of establish that you're in the Big 12 and kind of gauge where you are, and so – I think he's
0: being truthful in his statements. Agreed. Now, agree, agreed. Um, my voice is a little dry. There, I'm gonna start uh, coughing a little bit too much. But when it comes to uh, the offense, sticking with the offense, um, we had Nathaniel Dell. We had Tank Dell to speak to reporters on Wednesday, and you know, he was asked just in terms of what what the his assessment of his performance has been and you know he said that his main goal for the remainder of the season he just wants to win he flat out said um that's his main priority and he said he's willing to do anything that that would be required of him to win whether that's making more plays stepping up um when it comes to his role as a leader and and that's what you want to hear not only from your top receiver but a, a crucial player when it comes to that veteran that that leadership that captain role
3: And the best player on the team. I mean, let's just call it what it is. (laughs) Yeah. Player on the team, so you want him to say that and want him to be unselfishness and put team first, true altruism. And so I'm not surprised at all. And um, he's been doing his part. I think, could he do more? He could, but he can't throw the ball to himself. So more targets, force feed him, do whatever you can to get the ball in his hands
0: for him to make more plays. Yeah, for sure, and, and he—I mean—he even touched on some of the other wide receivers and what he's seen from them, and, um, and kind of his assessment overall of what he's seen from the offense, just in terms of their performances in the first half. And he—he he said, you know, he—and I'm going to read a direct quote. This is Tank Dell. Uh, to be honest, I feel like we've had we haven't played to our best potential, starting slower. Sometimes when we do start fast, uh, like I remember the Kansas game, we started fast, but we didn't end well. I just feel like we haven't. Put all our pieces together, which we are still doing. I feel like we are more comfortable right now, but we are just got to work. We just got to work on that. Starting fast and finishing fast, and quote. So again, he acknowledges what we've seen and what we've kind of uh, alluded to again, when, which goes back to the theme of the of the season for Houston early on that inconsistencies. But again, just hearing him talk there, it still it still seems like they're they're continuing. It's a work in pro. It's a work in process progress um for lack of a better phrase just in terms of continuing to to try to find not only an identity but just find something that works um for the houston offense and i mean going back to how we broke down the quarters for whatever reason they have not been able to get off to to good starts and like i said in the in the dell quote when they did against kansas the second quarter they fell flat and they were held scored us in the second
3: Yep, and I think quarterback play has to be better. Clayton Tune has to be better. He has to make more plays, specifically down the field, whether it's um, checking the ball underneath, just more completions, more doing anything to keep drives alive. And as a fifth-year senior, you expect for him to make more plays and not allow the coverage to dictate what he does. Kind of for him to dictate how coverage how coverages play him, and you don't see that a lot. Um, I I would like to ask Coach Hogerson next time how much freedom does um, Clayton has at the line of scrimmage to to make changes to change calls if he's seen certain coverages or certain matchups. That way, we kind of know, uh, excuse me, know how much command he really has and how much control he has at the line of scrimmage uh, for him to see certain things, or so even if he even if he has that ability to do so. If he's at that level of quarterbackism, I know as I should say, and so. Um, Uh, it's a lot of variables to go through into it, but I think better quarterback play has to be um, at the head of the list. Uh, Also limited false starts, shooting yourselves in the foot. I think you got to stay ahead of the chains. Um, if that'll help more often because you get positive yards on first and second down. Keep yourself in third and manageable situations. That way, it's not third and twelve. It's not third and fifteen. Third and long towards obvious passing situations, and the defense can pin their ears back and just play coverage and focus on getting after the quarterback. And so, it's different variables that can can help Clayton play better, but. Uh, a lot of it, he got to take the blame because he's quarterback. When they win, the quarterback is all the glory. When you play bad, quarterback has to get some um, qu- criticism. And so um, we've seen him do it. He's been inconsistent throughout his career, and we- we've
0: seen that continue. Yeah, a couple of final things before we uh, break off on the segment. But uh, sticking with Dell and, and some of the stuff he said, just the mindset of the program, he said that they feel like uh, Houston are the underdogs again. And all the accolades, all the preseason – you know, predictions, all that stuff. It doesn't matter anymore or were something along the lines that he said. And that really the message that has been reiterated to the team by the coaches, he said, do your job, which we've talked about in the past. That's kind of been the message that was reinforced after they lost. Um, I can't remember if it was after Texas Tech or against Kansas, but that's been a message that's been reiterated. You hit it right on the head, Dayon. and stopped shooting themselves in the foot. That was a very similar Quote, almost word for word that what Dell said, and the final thing was make explosive plays, which, again, goes back to, to the offense being um, unable to, to get those big plays. It's something that we haven't seen a lot of this season. I know, Dale, and that's something you've alluded to. And you have Tank Dell. You have a lot of players, you know, Matt, uh, Matt Golden, Sam Brown, kind of, a, a couple of different players that can not maybe not necessarily be like Tank Dell that can go down the field and make a play, but they I can in they their own right.
1: Yeah, and you care.
0: see and you saw, a little bit about, uh, you saw a little bit of it with Keyshawn Carter uh, just last week when he made that play over – it seemed like it was a crowd of two-lane defenders and he was able to go up, come down with the ball and make a big play that, that it, it was, it kind of looked like it – honestly, it might have been a 66-33 ball in the favor of two-lane and he made a play. You can. Uh, and I think all of those receivers can. They, when you don't get to this level without
3: being able to make plays, now it's about – um, getting more opportunities and then taking the skill level that you have and taking it to another level to be not only good for great and learning how to to pack winning at the next level, but I think they all have the talent to do so. They need more opportunities, take more chances. I think the offensive line has given them enough time to put the ball down the field. It's just about – I mean, doing it, like I said, not allowing the defense to dictate the coverage, dictate what they're going to do for you. Uh, I mean, uh, play calling has something to do with that as well. And so play calling from him having control at the line of scrimmage, a lot of different variables that we don't have answers to, In which I'm going to try to be sure to join the next availability ask more questions
0: for sure and on that note of play calling um, before we wrap off it was something that that hoverson was asked about the week leading up to rice just in terms of what the play calling system is like for houston and shannon dawson is the play caller for the houston cougars offensively is something that hoverson confirmed leading up to rice and and what hoverson explained it was something that actually started at the end of last season heading into the yukon game um, sometime in between the yukon and memphis game is when Horerson said and it was something that that the head coach felt really helped them to be able to be more free and be able to to oversee a lot more stuff in practice and they stuck with it through the american athletic championship game and into the birmingham bowl and into the season so he did say that he could go back to calling plays whenever he wanted to i'm referring to homerson but he just didn't feel the need to at that point so um we will see how the offense looks against memphis on friday and again when they head into the bye week after the memphis game it might be a uh, it, it would be good for houston if they can beat three and three kind of have a soft reset and being able to to reflect on everything that's happened in the first six games but that's going to do it for the first segment but don't go anywhere uh take this moment right now if you are watching on the youtube channel to subscribe hit that subscribe button and obviously of course give us a like it really helps out the playlist overall for this podcast and really houston content that you're not going to find anywhere else when it comes to men's basketball women's basketball and the football team you're not going to find this any other youtube channel so please give us a like coming right up on pod time jammo once like i said at the top during the intro we will finish our third segment focusing on hoop and holler the houston semi-collective and in this episode we kind of focus on the the houston NIL landscape overall which is pretty um pretty newsworthier when it comes to timeliness just with linking cougs it is gonna launch this coming friday october 7th at tdcu so don't go anywhere we'll have the final assignment of looking at hoop and holler the houston cougar semi Collective. Hey, hey, it's Andy Yannis and you're listening to Slime Jamma. This is going to be our third and final segment of a three-segment series. I keep wanting to say episode. but it's a three-segment series um, <laughs> focusing on name, image, and likeness, uh, or NIL, as you might hear. This three-segment series is focusing on Star Pizza and Hoop and Holler the university of houston semi-collective not full collective semi-collective um that has done the you might know them for the commercials with star pizza um commercials with different players Uh, and if you haven't checked out the first two segments i encourage you to go back and do it in the archives we focus on what it was like to work with athletes and we also focused on the origins of hoop and holler and how that came to be and on this and Final segment, we will focus on Houston NIL as a whole. Obviously, of course, um, like I mentioned in the first segment, um, if you go back and watch that, NIL has really changed the college landscape since it became uh, legalized in June 2020 or 2021, the summer of 2021. It's right. kind of changed the college world, and at the University of Houston, you, you see NIL deals. Obviously, you guys with Star Peaks are kind of the most prominent ones, just in terms of the the popularity of the commercials. <laughs> but you see other deals here and there with uh, various different businesses across the Houston area. So I want to start. And this, this is going to be the focus on this segment, just kind of the importance with. NIL for the University of Houston athletics as a whole. Um, something that you, we've touched on in the past is that really when you kind of launched hoop and holler, yeah, it was to, to get y'all feet went and be able to, 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 you know, for lack of a better phrase, it's kind of an investment to being able to work with a lot of the players. But something that you said is that you also were interested in being able to kind of encourage others to hop on the NIL train and and be able to do stuff with a lot of the Houston athletes. So what what was kind of your mindset behind that? And what what do you think that it's important for Houston to to get in the NIL game?
4: Sure. Going into the big 12, it was next year was, the landscape changer, really, where we realized that what all the other schools were doing. When you see stories about this school admitting that they're, you know, admittedly behind the, you know, on their NIL thing. Well, to me, there wasn't really ever a schedule or how much NIL you're supposed to have. Uh, Coach Sampson had said over and over again, and <laughs> that the NIL wasn't as important as having players that wanted to be at Houston playing. And that was that was what was important to me. The pay-to-play thing was never important. The trying to out-recruit other boosters was never important. It was never something that I was gonna be able to compete with anyway. So I knew that would be our thing would be very small. I wanted to keep it small. I wanted to keep some of the control where we could come up with an idea. And, and at the end of the day, I still had to sell it to my boss at the restaurant. So everything that we did was, Hey, I'm going to do this thing. Does that sound okay? Oh, sure. That sounds fun. Okay, great. And then we would shoot, do the finished product and then go from there. So there wasn't always a guarantee that it was going to work out. Sometimes it was just an investment for me and something for the player and, uh, something that we could try out and do. And that was really, like you said, um, getting your feet wet, figuring out where it starts and, um, Showing that it can be done and that if I could set up uh, a legal entity over a few days, build a website, nothing fancy and get a little bit of attention, um, then other people could do that, too. And at least Mm -hmm. that if it wasn't we weren't expecting to be the first when we had people reaching out to us and saying, And I'm sure that a lot of the ones that are coming out now, like the H O U N I L, uh, it's something that I think has been in the works for a long time. But to go that big and that scale Mm -hmm. was really uh, a huge undertaking, and I'm and I'm proud that somebody's doing that for Houston. That's a very big Mm -hmm. deal to me because that was what uh, it felt like we were missing was some of that subscription-based. Donate what you want, donate as much as you want or as little as you want. Uh, that's a big business, and, and it's hard to control, and it's hard to run, and it really takes a lot of commitment. To do it for the school and to, co- to commit to the school in that way uh, is huge. So kudos to those guys for doing everything that they're, they're doing, and finding time to do all that was not something that we were really going to be able to commit to. So keeping it small, showing that it could be done, uh, once we set everything up, all of a sudden, all these nil websites and trackers and companies and blue check mark people start reaching out to us, uh, asking what's going on, wanting to talk and and consult, asking me to consult on nil yeah. stuff. And to me, that I, that was really awesome because I felt like maybe we did something right, maybe we did spark something and put a little bit of University of Houston on the map. Uh, and that was real important because that's that was the main thing, was not expecting the school to rah-rah and rally for everything and get everybody going and support everybody. The school can't do anything with NIL. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people that have – there are still a lot of people that have no idea what NIL or name, image, and likeness is or what the school can or can't do or when they hear that other Texas schools or national schools – uh, are paying players to do all these things. Well, why can't we just do that? I hear that all the time. Why can't we do that? But that's, that's not the school's responsibility, and it's, it's not legal. So that comes from the private sector and from fans and alumni. And I'm very proud that there are some things that are – looks like launching now, like the HOU and thing um, with Goku's, that's huge – and uh I think that there are a couple others from what I've read that are about to come out too. So have competition is good. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Yeah. Exciting to be a, a part of that. So
0: absolutely. And you know, kind of the things you touched on, just staying with the the hoop and holler perspective. Uh one of the the things you reiterated is that you didn't see this as like oh, this is something that in the grand scheme of things, it'll help us with recruit or anything. No, your focus was on helping out the players that were already here for the University of Houston and, and just kind of Absolutely. being able to, to partner with them, which right. um, th- 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 that's, like you mentioned, that's something that's a difference between, you know, from the NIL. That's what NIL is supposed to be. Um okay. When it comes to being able to help athletes out, so I'm curious from the hoop and holler perspective, um, is there is there just in terms of maybe not necessarily scaling is the right phrase it, but what's the ultimate goal or how do you envision hoop and holler uh, from a year from now being able to to grow within the University of Houston because like you said now other other platforms are beginning to pop up. I,
4: they all seem to be a little bit different too, and that's yeah that's a, a big part of it when. One group does one thing. There will be somebody else doing another. Ours was really always sort of an, the idea was how can we create an experience for fans? And one thing we did recently at the restaurant at Star Pizza was uh, we printed up a bunch of Sac Avenue signs and gave them away. And I paid, we paid for that. And all you had to do was come to the restaurant. I didn't care if you bought pizza. I don't care if you bought a Coke. It didn't matter to me. Uh, but a lot of people did, and that was very important and It was nice to see the restaurant filled with red. Um, mm-hmm. The team came out they they didn 't have to do that, um, but they came out and had dinner with us and took pictures with fans and had a lot of fun, signed a lot of autographs. We hope we see a lot of those signs at the games. Um, <laughs> I know, if I got one signed i 'm not bringing it to the game so um, but that was a big thing was creating that fan experience and no cost to the fan. You know, they could come out, get a sign, take a picture with the guys from Sac Avenue or D.A. Jones if they wanted. And that was real cool to be able to have a platform to uh, put that sort of event on. The the restaurant kind of became that not a playground, but it kind of gives me the opportunity with Hoop and Holler Houston to do something right now. It's football season. We'll probably do something real soon for basketball in the same way
0: for sure and one of the things that you mentioned uh, during the first segment of the series is that you you were able to look at what some of the other schools were doing for inspiration Um, now focusing back on the University of Houston obviously of course um, they're less than a year now from joining the Big 12 Um, how important is it for um, not just with you guys but just NIO across um, specifically in regard to the University of Houston um, going forward to be able to have that platform for the student athletes that do choose to come to the University of Houston, and again in an ever-changing landscape across college football and college sports overall.
4: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the students and athletes that are coming, committing to U of H, and looking at U of H as an opportunity to go play sports and whatever the sport is, whether it's volleyball or soccer or baseball or football or basketball, any of anyone that's looking to go to U of H is, as far as I can tell, is is not looking to go to U of H to get paid. They are mm-hmm. looking to go to U of H to compete in sports and go to the next level. And that's one of the things we learned from the guys that we've been working with is that this is they recognize the college period is short and it's an experience for them to move to hopefully a professional career. And that's what was important was recognizing that this is something I can do with them. We can do with them. They can elevate their brand, which is what NIL is in the first place, It's elevating Mm -hmm. student athletes brand and using that brand. If it's a popular person on the court or on the field or or wherever the volleyball court, uh, if they're successful in their sport, then their name would have more clout in a commercial atmosphere or or in getting cameos or doing tweets for someone's birthday or sending something for someone's birthday. All those little things that those those guys and girls can do is is really cool. And looking at finding a way to let people know that those things are there, not just you can go film a commercial and and sell trucks or sell an air conditioner, which that was an awesome one from <laughs> that. Was yeah. the best ever. No one will touch that. Um, uh, knowing that they could use their name in a fun way to do stuff like that. Uh, is really cool and letting people know that there are other things like just getting a uh, if your dad is a big U of H fan, you can get him a cameo from a basketball player or uh, a tweet sent out saying happy birthday from a a football guy or a baseball pitcher or something. And those things are are not expensive, uh, but the money goes to the popular player or to the player Mm -hmm. themselves. And putting all those things out there, letting people know that all those opportunities are there. Whenever, you know, Mattress Mac did something at uh, his NIL thing with the basketball team after they finished the Elite Eight run was an, an incredible opportunity to go out and spend, if you wanted, spend three hours with that basketball team and ask questions and hang out. And, hey, let them throw you a, a pass across the room. You know, dribble the ball with them. You know, I, I came up with something – silly and i had uh, josh carlton hold the ball way up in the air when like, i could pretend like i was trying to reach for it and he took it away <laughs> and he was like oh you don't want a regular picture and i said no that everybody gets a regular picture i want the silly one so mm-hmm. that was fun and those opportunities are there and they're not expensive and if you like sports uh, those are great opportunities for student athletes and the general public to be a part of
0: Gotcha. Mike, as we wrap things up, I'll leave you with one final question. Just overall, since you have started the NIL experience with Hoop and Holler and obviously, of course, being able to produce the commercials for Start Pizza. What's kind of the the biggest lesson or message that that's kind of stuck with you throughout the whole process that um, it's really going to help you going forward as you continue uh, from a Hoop and Holler perspective, from the Hoop and Holler perspective?
4: Sure. Uh, always hire a stuntman. Um, the, the real deal always looks better, but, uh, sometimes things are a little more real than you think. Nobody got hurt in our football commercial. It was a lot of fun. Um, the, the experience of going through this whole thing and learning as you go, uh, at the restaurant, we always talk about every day is different. You learn something every day. If you think, you know, everything you don't, um. I entered this into into this thing with Hoop and Holler Houston and partnering it with Star Pizza uh, because it was an easy relationship to do. If anybody else wanted to work with us, I was super open to anybody that would want to do anything and helping them and, you know, make a handoff to a student athlete or to uh, uh, contact that I had. Um, But the experience of getting to do it and learning as you go and and finding out how things work in this NIL landscape Uh, moving towards the big 12 was the the biggest takeaway from the whole thing was it was Mm -hmm. the experience of getting to do it uh, setting it up and getting to do it and if it ended tomorrow that'd be fine Uh, we look to keep on going and doing more fun stuff and hopefully the guys and girls on the
0: u of h sports want to do the same for sure. Emphasis on stuntmen, because if something happened to the players, you'd have Dana Horgerson or Calvin Sampson on your back. Right. <laughs> but once again, Mike, thank you for taking the time, uh, being a part of Pod, Slime and Jammo for the last three episodes with each of the segments. Uh, once again, this... At each of the name, image, and likeness segments, we're sponsored by at Texas Quan on Twitter. Be sure to give him a follow. And in an ever changing world that is college athletics, name, image, and likeness is certainly going to be here to stay. And it's going to be just continuing to grow as, you know, the months, the days, the years progress with, um, like you said, more people get experience with the entire process. So it's just going to continue to evolve as well. Mike, I'll give you the floor. Is there something you'd like to sign off with, um, for the third and final segment? Uh, sh-
4: I'll tell everybody, go to the games, show up, be loud, wear red, and go kooks.
0: Welcome back. Once again, that was the final segment focusing on Hoop and Holler, the Houston uh, Cougar Semi Collective, focusing on uh, NIL across the University of Houston and how it relates. Now, like I mentioned, a very good uh, uh, newsworthy, a good timely fashion. Uh, we have had two other sponsor segments in the past um focusing on hoop and holler you can check those out in the archives they hoop and holler is the entity behind they'll start pizza commercials if you do watch let's reach coos i'm sure you've seen it with uh the different d'anthony jones Sack av commercials even the one with hawk um so they're good and they're entertaining and there's more coming but it's good to kind of get their story and looking ahead our nil coverage will not stop obviously um, when it comes to linking coogs and H O U N I L that launched those were the guys with gocoops.com. There's uh, it seems like it's a good time when it comes to N I L. Um, that's popping out across the University of Houston, which just in time, now that the University of Houston is less than a year away from joining the Big 12, that's NIL. We will focus back on Houston Cougars football, and specifically the defense, because you know we focus on the offense, specifically in the first segment of the show, that we're not going to shy away from the defense, which they've had the struggles of their own at times, and, and really, when it comes to the defense, again, a similar story to the offense when it comes to that inconsistency, but in particular for the defense, it's just Being unable to close games, um, specifically when they get put in positions to being able to close out games. I mentioned the 4th and 20. There's a whole bunch of instances, I I believe, they've had – it's come down to the final. They've been thrown straight into the fire because four out of the five games have come down to the final possession. They were able to make a stop against UTSA and Rice, not so much against Texas Tech and this past week against Tulane. And here's what defensive coordinator Doug Belk had to say just in terms of those struggles closing out games and how they can get better better and improve?
1: You know, a lot of new faces um, and a lot of development, a lot of coaching. You know, overall, you know, I'm proud of the way that we've competed and I'm proud of the way that we've approached the game. But, you know, overall, you know, when you're in in position to win the game, if you're a real competitor and and you want to take the next step into being a championship level team, you can't really lose the games that we've lost and we got to do a better job of finishing. That's really the message that uh, we have sent. Uh, over the last couple of weeks. And when you look at a tape, you can play good football for a lot of the game. But if you don't do things right and do things detailed and, and play with the high sense of urgency at the end of the game, um, then you're going to lose. And we've had a couple, we've had several, um, you know, plays in the game that have directly affected the game. Um, and we've had a chance to win on defense no matter, you know, the circumstance or how we played early. Uh, we haven't finished. So, you know, excited about the physicality, excited about, you know, the way that we've been able to get it, uh, affect the quarterback and some of the plays we've been able to make in the back end. But, you know, ultimately the game is about winning and losing at the end of the day, you know, fundamentals, blocking, tackling. Outside
0: of the Kansas game, Doug, uh, the
3: four others have have had different types of situations at the end or, you know, something, you know, not too different, but then then they've all had their their situations there. Have you put a finger on – is it just not making a play? Is it, you know, not being in a position? I mean,
4: what what has been the, the culprit there at the end?
3: I
1: was kind of about to get to that before you cut me off. But, Sorry. you know, at the, at the end of the day, it comes down to understanding situational football. And there's a combination of, you know, at the end of the game, heightened sense of urgency to not play hero ball, play with great technique, play with great discipline. And, you know, whether it was a lack of understanding or whether I haven't coached them well enough or guys just simply not, you know, making the plays in in critical situations, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's my job to get get those guys in position to make those plays. So I don't think it's just one thing. I mean, the other coaches um, have done a great job of game planning against us. Other players have made plays and we've made plays as well. So it's just you know, understanding that situation and you got to be able to make those plays in that time of the game and they got to be in the right call um, from me and our staff to really be able to execute those plays. So it's a combination of a lot of different things and ultimately in a couple of the games, we just didn't get it done. It's that simple.
0: So you heard it there from defensive coordinator Doug Buck. a lot of interesting stuff and it, it's it's kind of a, a good Thing right there where he mentioned situational football, and I know that's something that you asked at. Uh, yeah, you asked Elias Bell about that, and and really he he talked about execution and and communic execution communication and tackling. Those were the three factors that he said the team has focused on in practice um, specifically this week as it's leading up to Memphis.
3: Yeah, and that's exactly what I've been um, saying a lot throughout. <clears throat> excuse me, throughout this entire season in different podcasts. Excuse me. Throughout the season and different um episodes um, um last us race schools, because I mean like that fourth and 20 something play that's a situational football where you understand um it's only so much that the offense can do and so much that you want to stop it during that on that on that situation and it's happened on numerous times. I remember I think last game they gave up A third and twenty something, in which uh, Coach Belk, but they put the camera on him, and he was visibly upset. And because it's just things like that in situational football, and certain things that you don't want to give up, and you want to be mindful of, who you want to pay attention of, and and like you just said, whether it's him maybe not coaching them well enough, or them not being attentive and being understanding what they should do in their assignment and how to execute it, it's just different variables in which. Uh, I'm sure that they can fix it and it can be fixed. And Elias Bell, he also mentioned in just fundamentals tackling um, simple as that.
0: Yeah. And uh, specifically um, focusing on what, what Bell said um, and day you, you mentioned it again, just they been in several positions and specifically going back to that fourth and 20 like you mentioned that was a busted coverage um and i can't remember belk's the one that 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 kind of followed up on it where um the defensive packs they were playing too far out they were kind of guarding the the end zone in that and and it was in the overtime scenario they had no one guarding the sticks and allowed texas tech to on a dump off being able to literally drop it off and run for essentially the first down they it was fourth and 20 and they got exactly 21 yards stuff like that is it's really the difference between uh again kind of what's been the theme of this whole episode what Hogerson said between where they are right now at two and three and four and one and it's a lot of it obviously has to do with more players being put in situations where maybe they weren't necessarily comfortable in a season ago, um, especially when it comes to uh, the different positions on the defense. We we know the story by now with Marcus Jones to Marion Williams, even um, with Logan Hall up front where they were just in terms of, uh, the veterans and and the high caliber players that they had there now entering this season, a couple of players have had to take on new roles and it is an adjustment period. But I think it, 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 from a player's perspective, something we've mentioned in previous shows and and episodes. um, I feel like if you were a player on the defense, that's what you want to hear not only from your defensive coordinator, but he takes responsibility. But at the end of the day, he, he mentioned it. It's not on that clip, but um, during his availability, he said even though we did good stuff during um, the beginning of, of the game, what matters at the end, if we can't finish, it doesn't necessarily matter what you were able to do in the past. And at the end of the day, only wins and losses are what matters. And um, not necessarily quoting him word by word, but paraphrasing a little bit, he said, if you want to be a championship level team, you got to figure out ways to seal the deal, to so finish the deal and close out those teams. And that's something that Houston has really struggled in this season.
3: And that's big facts right there. If you want to be a championship level team, you don't beat yourself. You don't beat yourselves. You don't allow plays like that to happen in situations like that. You look at the teams of in that upper echelon like Alabamas and Georgias and, and Clemsons and all the other teams of the world. They don't give up plays like that. And so, I mean, he's 100% right. We know his resume. We know where he's been. He's been with Alabama. He's been with Coach Saban. He know, he's seen what championship-level teams, how they are, how they work, um, how they prepare, how they execute. And so he knows what it takes. And I'm sure the players are 100% bought in listening to his words. They just have to do it. Coaches, coaches, players playing. So uh, coaches to only take uh, so much of the blame. Players have to go out and execute
0: for sure and then overall across what you've seen uh from the defense cuz it hasn't all been uh negative and it's something that Doug Buck said where they they've had they've had good they've had some bad and they've had some ugly, and and really the the key for Houston, about uh, said, it was being able to eliminate that that ugly part. um But he said he's been excited what he's seen from the defense in terms of physicality, um how they've been able to affect the quarterback at times. Some plays made from the defensive backfield, by the way. An injury update. Now during his availability, Doug Buck said that the Javarius Owens and. Um, Art Green were still day-to-day during his radio show um, later in the day. So in the evening, Dane Holgerson said they should be good to go to play against Memphis. So that's obviously going to be a big boost uh, to the backfield for Houston and those two can go after they weren't able to go against Tulane. Um, obviously, Donovan Mutant did play, um, and he said he was good after the post game, So he should be good to go against Memphis as well. But that's been something that they've had to deal with too, and, and even – Again, going back a few weeks when Hoverson said, um, specifically in that defensive backfield, trying to be able to get a lot more depth or develop the depth behind guys like Green, guys like uh, Alex Hogan, and, and being able to get more players to plug in and, and play like they were last year, because that's 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 probably, that's a detail that it kind of gets glossed over where, yeah, they had Marcus Jones and Demarius Owens, but then they also had uh, guys like Art Green, they had guys like Alex Hogan, they had Javarius Owens cycling in and being able to make plays as well when, when those players were out. And that's, that's really been a factor for Houston that they haven't had, a luxury they haven't had this season.
3: Yeah, you're right. And, and having that depth, especially when you play in the amount of plays that they have, the overtimes and how much they've been on the field, you want to have the luxury of, of taking drives off and putting in players and not having a level drop off as far as talent or talent drop off when they get on the field and allow them to execute and play to the same level of the starters. And so um, that's definitely something that hasn't been to Houston's benefit this season. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you got to continue to develop. That's something Coach Hogerson has been asked about. Uh, He's talked about the level, the talent level on this team in reference specifically to Big 12 and Big 12 talent and championship level. In his words, he said they have a ways to go uh, to to get there. And and what that says to the players that he's brought in, um, over this year, and which over recently since his all the players that he's have are his players, and so those players are in are being considered when he says that, I should say, and so um I mean, you gotta develop in which um they've been shown that they can develop. we have talked about that um unless race the ability to develop players and so just have to continue to do so.
0: Yeah, and that that's something that Hogerson's doubled down a few times since they initially said it. But um, any final thoughts just over on the defense and as we look ahead to Memphis? Because they are going to have a really good challenge um, when it comes to the Tigers. It doesn't get any easy uh, for Houston and and. <laughs> something since said during his um, press conference on Monday it was, we, "We've made it four games and might as well make it five games that are going to come down to the wire." Just in terms of of a Memphis team that coming in and hot, they are four and one. They have won the first two games when it comes to conference play, and and really they have a lot of weapons. And and interestingly enough, when it comes uh, to their quarterback and um, and Seth Hannigan, who Doug Belk said he's similar to when they they were preparing uh, to face off against Michael Pratt last week uh, against Tulane. They didn't get to see him, but Seth Hannigan, Belk had similar things to say about him, just in terms of how he's in command of the Tigers offense. He rarely makes mistakes, especially when it comes to passing. He's thrown nine touchdowns. He's only had one interception, but the thing that's going to be crucial for Houston is how much damage he can also do with his legs, because he's rushed for over 150 yards, and he's actually scored a couple of touchdowns for the Tigers as well, and they're running back they have a lot of weapons that can hurt Houston on the ground game, and that's something that they struggled with um, against Kansas, being able to stop their rushing attack because they have guys like Brandon Thomas that, that really have done – they have four players that have rushed for over 150 yards and three, one that's rushed for over 200, and two others that are real close to that 200 rushing yard mark.
3: Yeah, and Memphis has been a team that's been able to develop running backs and going, getting into the next level. The Tony Powers of the world, Kenneth Gainwell – um, um Gibson, that's say, Washington for the Redskins, uh, and so they've been able to develop running backs um, Henderson that plays for the Rams. That's four running backs all came from Memphis, and so they're prone to developing running backs, and it's going to be another Quarterback, I feel like every quarterback that Houston has faced this season, maybe with the um, exception of Bryce, has been dual-threat quarterbacks. And so that's another element they should be used to defending right now, which they have to really hone in on their keys and really, like um, Bell said, make tackles.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it comes to the receiving target, um, another player that Doug Belk shouted out and kind of spotlighted, uh, you're not necessarily when you think of his top receiving target, you don't usually expect it to be the tight end. That's case for Memphis and tight end Caden Prigscorn, who he's caught 18 passes. He has 178 receiving yards. But he's one of the top receiving um, – he's one of the top guys in the nation when it comes to receiving touchdowns. He's had five overall for the season for – for the Tigers at a tight end position, that's going to be something that again, when I think of that, when they're tied in as, a- so involved in the passing game that gives Memphis a lot of flexibility to be able to try a lot of different things, especially when they have such a strong rushing attack to being able to incorporate the tight ends as well. And that passing game, that's something that Houston's going to have to to look for. And something again, going back to Kansas and a couple of other times um, with various opponents across the season, it's something that's given them problems. You know, the mobile quarterbacks have given them problems with Donovan Smith, Frank Harris. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can learn from those past experiences. And if, if we heard, Elias Bell say they're, they're going to be looking to being able to contain him and force him to beat him with his arm, which um, is what the crews are going to be aiming for. Yep,
3: try to make Memphis one dimensional, stifle that run game, and put them in obvious passing down situations so they can get after the quarterback. And um, it's easy to say done, but I think they can do so. Like I mentioned at the start of the show, the last game, and often uh, throughout the season, defense has played well enough to win games. They just have to finish and not allow excuse me, allow um, other teams to capitalize in situations that favor the defense. And so um, I trust in Doug Belk 100%. I trust that he can still get this defense to limit some of those mistakes and be the driving force of the team. And just look, if they've been able to close out the game – with the offense playing how they had how they have the entire game, you can look back and say this defense has carried Houston throughout this entire season. And so um I know that they are what the record says they are and it's went how they went, but just take away those those drives and you look at it in totality the defense has outperformed the offense. And so um they just gotta turn it around, put it together one game at a time and um see
0: how they see how it turns out. They've certainly been able to keep them in games outside of that Kansas game where they, they really struggled. But um, that's really the story of the season for, for Houston overall. And it's it's going to be – it's a big game on Friday. Again, like we mentioned, not only in terms of standings, but probably for the Houston players themselves um, to be able to get a win heading into the bye week. And again, like I mentioned, be at 3-3. Three and three, That's not where they wanted um, to start the season. Um, but 1-1 one one in conference, 3-3 three and three overall in the season. They get a chance to adjust and, and, and still have a lot to play for once they get out of the bye I feel if if they if they lose that game the Memphis it'll be much much road a tougher road obviously of course but just in terms of the mindset they've been in four games that have really been heartbreakers the way it, it's ended for them so a uh, much need win and, and overall there's going to be a lot of eyeballs just to see how they respond you know if they come out again like we mentioned they have been in all those games if they come out show fight um, that's going to go a long way to show that they are still you know involved still active still belief among the team which is probably the most important thing um for the players right now
3: yeah come out and compete try to stack these wins up close the season out strong and you never know what's going to happen and throughout the rest of the conference and how the chips may fall so all you can control is what you
0: can control and try to stack these wins for sure. And that's going to do it for today's episode. So we like to remind you guys again, if you haven't done so already, or if you're listening in our audio only platforms, we thank you. We appreciate you guys checking us out on Spotify, Apple podcast, anywhere else where you may be listening. There's Amazon. There's, I'm not going to lift off all the different audio platforms that we have, but we also encourage you to check us out on YouTube where the same way we see it, you see it on your screen, wherever you're listening to um pots and i'm a jam on youtube because it's not only the podcast that we we show on our channel but we have um daily content honestly when it comes to houston cougars football men's basketball women's basketball it's almost basketball season i mentioned october 7th this upcoming friday there's going to be the launch of of Lincoln Cougs at tdsu stadium it's also going to mark exactly one month until both uh, men's basketball and women's basketball tip off their seasons which both to play November 7th. So we're getting closer and closer to the basketball season. And that, again, that's going to do it for today's episode. Also, be sure to follow us. We're on Instagram and TikTok at Let's Rage Cubes And on Twitter, like you see it uh, on the screen, Pots, Night Pajama down. I'll toss it over to you for the final words, sir. Hey, man, we can't end an episode without saying Let's Go Cools. But
3: also, thank you all for support. Make sure you like and subscribe, whatever platform you listen on. We greatly appreciate it.